0: Welcome to Hashtag No Filter with me, Stephanie Nay, a podcast which provides career advice from industry experts. Every episode you'll hear how each trailblazing guest built success and what they do to bring a sense of wellness into their world. You're listening to real people with real stories, with real success and who need no filter. Hello everyone and welcome to Hashtag Today on the show I'm joined by expert hair colourist Mark William Selly. Mark is one of London's most in-demand colourists and best known for creating soft buttery blondes and beautiful brunettes. You can usually find Mark at Nicky Clark in Mayfair but when he's not working from the salon he can be found on set with publications such as Vogue, Vanity Fair and Tatler or on major cinematic productions. This episode is especially meaningful to me as when I was training to become a hairdresser, I was Mark's assistant and he taught me valuable lessons that I still very much apply to my life today. No filter. Welcome to hashtag no filter, Mark.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Very excited to have you here. What is it about having beautifully coloured shiny hair that makes people feel so good about themselves?
1: I think it's just feeling confident in themselves. I think, yes, having it shining, glossy and looking lovely is always amazing, but it's just the way that they feel afterwards. It gives them an extra boost and makes them feel like they can take on anything. And it's just that sort of feeling like you've been pampered and looked after. That is what people love the most, I think, about hair and getting it done.
0: Yeah, like looking in the mirror and seeing just their best version of themselves, looking back at them.
1: Exactly, yeah, for sure.
0: So tell us a little bit about your style, your signature style in the salon. Has anybody or anything influenced you? I think my style is definitely something that's a little bit more
1: natural. It's, it's again, like you said, glossy, shiny, healthy looking hair that could potentially be your own. I mean, obviously I do a lot of stuff that's very coloured looking, but the majority of the stuff that I do is... Is that a little bit less in your face and more sort of gloss and, you know, nice condition, make it enhancing of their natural sort of colours. That's totally my sort of thing. But, you know, I love vivid coppers and sort of really natural reds and things like that, which is totally my sort of bag.
0: How do you decide on, say, let's go for this vibrant look? Is there a particular kind of person that would suit that more than others? Oh,
1: for sure. I mean, you know, say, for example, you're doing sort of a vivid copper or vibrant sort of, you know, really lovely strawberry blonde. Not everyone can take those sort of colours on their skin tone. And it is always about skin tone. You really have to understand the natural pigment in someone's skin and then go from there, because you can't just put a vivid, vivid, shocking red on someone that's, you know, a very sort of yellow undertone because it's just too counterproductive. It looks all too warm. And it just doesn't look right on their skin. But I think when you can use something that is just that little bit more, you know, that, that could potentially be there, that's when it when it looks fantastic.
0: So it's not just a case of somebody coming in to you and saying, you know, I want to have this natural looking shiny hair or somebody coming in saying, I want this vivid colour. You You coach them through the best options for them.
1: Absolutely. You know, you really have to understand... Lifestyle, for example, is a huge part of that as well. So for example, you're, you know, someone that works in the law, law profession and you have to wear wigs all day, for example, you can't be having very specific sort of colors underneath that. It just doesn't really work. Um, but also, so for example, you travel quite a lot and, you know, you want to have a consistent sort of person doing your hair. Again, you have to take that in consideration. So it's not just about doing a color on someone's hair because you think it might look good. You have to take all different sort of factors in into consideration when you're doing that because, you know, people's lifestyles do come into into account when you're when you're thinking about putting something specific on someone's hair, and obviously the condition of someone's hair as well.
0: Okay, so when people do come into the salon and they do want colours that don't quite suit them, and they present you photographs of things that they found off of Pinterest, how do you handle the client's expectations?
1: That is a very, very good question because that is something that I have to deal with on a regular basis. And managing expectations is one of the hardest things as a, as a colourist, especially someone in my sort of industry, because you really have to be A, quite diplomatic <laughs> and be as honest as possible. Because quite frankly, a lot of people bring in pictures of celebrities and certain people that they've screenshotted through either you know various different social medias but the problem with that is that they're, they're looking at the whole package and a very finished and polished look whereas quite often they don't really understand you know what's gone into that or if that look is even going to work on them or if they have the right sort of hair type or if you know the condition of their hair is even able to support going through that sort of colour change. And a lot of the time, it's not. So you really have to sort of manage exactly what you're going to do and be very honest, but not to give false expectations. But that's one of the problems, I think. It's it's dealing with people wanting something so specific when it's just not possible.
0: Has there ever been a time where you've really had to work hard to guide somebody through? Yes,
1: yes. Many, many times, many times. Can you tell us about it? I had this one particular girl who she was so obsessive about having this really natural Swedish blonde look, which of course is very, very difficult on someone that's naturally very dark. But she also wouldn't take into consideration that she had all these other factors, like for example, lots of natural red in her hair. She also had an all over colour on her hair, which prevented me from pushing the boundaries too far. But she also, whether I could do it or not, was irrelevant. She, she, in her mind, knew that she was going to walk out the salon with that look, which, of course, she wasn't prepared to be told, no, That actually, that's not possible. And, you know, even if it was possible, you'd probably be here for the whole day and it would cost you a huge amount of money. So she just wasn't, she wasn't able to sort of grasp that. And that's the difficulty sometimes is telling people, no, actually, I can't do that
0: yeah that does sound challenging handling people's expectations but is it something that you've become used to doing oh
1: yeah and that's the thing I think going through a training program growing learning from the very beginning in in a salon that I work in somewhere like Nikki Clark is is very very difficult because you have to be thrown into the deep end in some ways you know and a lot of the the youngest generation of hairdressers have to learn the hard way because they they have to deal with these sort of people on a regular basis. And that can be very challenging for someone that's never had to experience that before. And over time, of course, you then learn how to deal with people or have the confidence in speaking to people and just actually saying no.
0: Do you think it's different to handling younger people's expectations, the one that have grown up with social media and access to all these photos or older generation? Absolutely. I think actually, in in
1: many ways, it is much harder to deal with the younger girls that come in. And I find actually, you know, definitely the sort of teenage girls up to sort of no later than 30, maybe even slightly later than that. But that sort of age, there is a lot of Pinterest pictures or Instagram pictures that they have screenshotted and, and kind of say, well, look, this is the sort of thing I really want. And it's really hard. And you feel really heartless sometimes when you say, look, I don't think you really get this. <laughs> this is just not how it works. I can't just put a colour on and it's going to be like that. It it doesn't work like that. But I think it is definitely a, a slightly younger clientele that that don't quite grasp what you can and cannot do.
0: They probably will once they go somewhere and somebody does do it for them and they have to walk out of the salon
1: with their hair back. Well, that's it, you see. And I think at points, you really have to be quite brutal and be, look, if you want me to push this, I will try. But ultimately you have to think about your hair might fall out if you really want me to try and push it to that color. Yeah and often it's the girls that come in that want you know a super sort of platinum colour or they want to go from a really dark sort of colour or really red sort of colour to blonde and that's the hardest thing to do because you're not only working with the natural tones in the hair, you're also working with artificial pigments which is one of the hardest things to get out the hair. Mm.
0: I think the important thing to remember it sounds like is that they've come to you because you're an expert and you're there to provide them with a service so I think it would be quite wrong to just be like, yeah, OK, let's do it if it wasn't suitable for them. So it does sound like holding your ground and, and staying true to yourself and your expertise is the only way to go. It's so true. I think that's one of the problems, you see, because although a lot of
1: people come specifically for that, they think in their mind because they're going to an expert, they're automatically going to walk out with that colour. So sometimes it's, if not harder, because you you know, they really honestly think that coming in with a picture of Beyonce, they're going to come out looking like Beyonce or, you know, Claudia Schiffer or God knows what. Like, you know, they they honestly bring in these pictures and I think it's not necessarily the hair, it's the full package that people are looking at. And it's quite hard to sort of, to convince a lot of people that actually, is it really the hair that you're looking at or is it the whole package? And that's difficult.
0: It sounds like they really push
1: you quite a lot. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> so what are your top tips for perfecting a consultation?
1: Honesty. I mean, that's the first thing. And to be very, very clear about exactly what you can potentially do, you have to sort of be very open to suggestions, uh, to be as diplomatic as possible, but also... To, to talk as much as possible, to find out as much information as possible, because that's the whole point. You need to try not just to understand what they've had in terms of hair history, but also to find out what their lifestyle is like or what, you know, are they able to come in as often as they should do to get something specific done to their hair? Or, you know, can they afford to do that? So all of these different factors you have to take into consideration.
0: It takes a long time to expect. It really does sound it. Yeah. So just going back onto kind of like the social media aspect of it now, Mm. do you think that these kind of platforms like Instagram and Pinterest have changed the industry or shaping it in a different way?
1: They definitely do. I find it harder for the younger generation of hairdressers because there's a lot of expectation for you to deal with clients that come in asking for unrealistic things, firstly, but also for the hairdresser themselves to then produce things that that look like that because there's a very specific style of hairdressing clips and images that a lot of people expect you to post if you're if you're trying to make a name for yourself via social media and there's a lot of criticism out there if someone doesn't post something in a, in a specific way you're automatically gonna be criticized by the rest of the hairdressing industry. So there's a big expectation for people to present their work in a certain way or to do things in the way that other people are doing them. You know, a balayage technique, for example, the look of balayage. There are so many thousands and thousands of images out there that you can, that you can find via social media they all relatively look the same and it's all styled in a very specific way they all have a very light of tussle at the end a little tiny a nice little curl everything looks very specific all of those balayage looks are relatively the same and what's difficult is there isn't really enough of a movement that goes from that and they all relatively have the same sort of base where they all have you know, a ring light that's used. They all are done in certain lighting and all have a very specific toner over the top of them. And it's very hard because you then have to produce something like that, but that might not be what you like doing or not your style of work. So that's quite a lot of pressure for the young hairdressers as well.
0: Do you think that though, before that, it was actresses and just people in the limelight. Would you? Is it not the same kind of difficulty there? I suppose, as you were saying before, you know they've been in hair and makeup for five hours. So is I suppose it's just something That's else. That's the thing as
1: well for hairdressing clips that use you know pictures of hair that go out there. They are so specifically styled to look amazing for that final clip, and then they're using very specific lighting or very good cameras and those sort of different things that add to that sort of final image that you know so for example i i i did someone's hair the other day and she was she's an actress and it's for a film and she was very much talking about what we've been doing on her for a very long time and then she showed me a picture of what i'd done on her a few years ago she said i want it to be more like this i said like, look <laughs> your hair is actually that now it's no different it's just different lighting
0: right
1: and she's an actress
0: yeah
1: and so it's a bit like if the actresses can't recognize it then there's no hope for any of us right so and so that's the thing so it's very hard sometimes because a lot of people don't see that actually what they have is almost exactly the same as what they're showing you or they want something so specific when actually you do that, you create that look on them and they then think, oh, it's not the same as what I've showed you a picture of. And then I would say things like, well, okay. well, if i got a ring light and took very specific pictures and then, you know, then fiddled around with the lighting afterwards when I then, before I posted it online, it would look exactly the same. And that's the problem.
0: Do you ever find yourself getting carried away and and kind of agreeing with them? I have
1: done and that, that I've learned in the past not to because that's when you when you fall into dangerous grounds because you then you then start to lose your own focus because you are convinced that what they're saying is true but actually you have to have faith in what you're doing because a lot of the time when people want something so specific it isn't necessarily about what they're showing you it's about something much more than that
0: do you find that working in a salon where there's other hairdressers around you to give you that kind of support is very helpful? Or do you think that's something that you would pick up just being a um, an independent sal- uh, colourist that worked on their own?
1: Well, I think having people around you that work in the industry or, or you know, professionals at the same sort of level is really important because you then can bounce off of them when I'm in the salon and I talk to those people. I would say, well, look, I'm going to do this, you know, because there's obviously many ways around achieving a certain look. And another colourist might say, well, yeah, probably, but have you thought about doing this as well? You know, and it's a great way of bouncing off. And also that extra support that you can use that colorist to then speak to that other client and say, look, I'm just getting another opinion about this to back your support up, you know, to, to then for letting that client know that look you know I think you're going to be a bit of a problem I'm going to get someone else to witness this sort of situation in a nice way because you do have to have that extra support no matter what happens because you just never know you never know what what can happen with some of the clients.
0: sounds like you're you're going into a contract with your client and you just want somebody there to witness it. You know you really do have to do
1: that sometimes because it can be very difficult because like I said if you don't have those foundation blocks from the beginning, try and manage their expectations from the beginning, then you can get yourself in all kinds of problems. Because if you don't talk and be very, very clear about what you know, what you potentially can do, but not give them false hopes, you know, I would never say, oh yeah, you're definitely going to have that kind of colour. I definitely can do that for you because you know you can't guarantee that. You can work towards that. And say, well, you know, let's do something that can be as close to that as possible. Obviously, I'm not going to guarantee that. But, you know, when you go in or guns blaze and say, yeah, I can do that. That's when you you're definitely going to set yourself up as failure.
0: So whilst we're still on that social media change in the industry question, are you able to learn things from social media, learn new techniques? Is it helpful for that or are these fast forward videos not going to cut it?
1: I think, I think we definitely do that there, there's so much that we can learn from social media because it, it talks us through different styles and, and, and what, what people are actually wanting because, you know, you still get a lot of people coming in and asking for the same type of thing. And in many ways through social media, it pushes a very specific style and, and suddenly you get a different sort of style and you get people that come in asking for something that you've not seen before or seen on anyone else before, which is great because you, know, you think, oh yeah, I can definitely do that. You know, It's definitely something that I've not done on someone before that I'd quite like to do. But quite often, it's all relatively the same thing, but different color choices or different, slightly different applications. So for me, it's quite exciting because it means I can play around rather than just doing the same thing all the time.
0: So is there anybody on social media that you do follow for beautiful hair inspiration?
1: Yeah, there's quite a few actually. I I used to do a lot of stuff with Tr- Tracy Cunningham. There's a few people in the US that I quite like. There's a few people in the UK that I quite like. But to be honest, we're just hairdressers. We, you know, we, it's all a very creative thing, and we all kind of take inspiration from many different things. It might not just be hairdressing. It might be you know, the colours of God knows what, you know, flowers, for example, you might look at that and think, oh, that's quite interesting. Or you might see different sort of textures of things and think, oh, that's quite nice. So there's many different aspects that you can take inspiration on, not necessarily hairdressers.
0: Yeah, it sounds much more creative and outside the colouring hair box. Exactly. But like, in terms of like
1: formulas and stuff like that, you know, colour formulas, I do look at some other colourists' work and when they post things online, I think, yeah, that actually, that's a really good formula. I would definitely do something quite similar to that. For example, toners over blonde hair. and That's always quite interesting.
0: So could you spot a toner out, like, from from an Instagram post? Would you be able to tell what it is?
1: I can tell what, what type of undertone it is. Like, for example... Over a certain base, over a certain lightness, I can always see if they've added an element of violet in the hair, if they've added something that has a little bit more red in in the toner, or if they've added more blue in the toner or green in the toner. Because you see a lot of the time, uh, and I spoke about Asian hair earlier on, because it's very difficult with Asian hair sometimes because you have to recognise that Asian hair or you know, hair that's very, very dark would often have lots of red. And quite often what would happen, a lot of hair just would use green to neutralise that red. And you have to be very, very careful with the amount of green that you put in the hair because it ends up just looking green. And especially when you're putting it over, you know, blonde highlights, for example, and you want to neutralise that sort of red that comes through. But because people sometimes are so obsessed with ash, they want something that's so flat and so ashy that ends up looking green you know so you can kind of see that in pictures on a screen if you're looking at it on Instagram or or on Pinterest or whatever it looks okay but for people that are untrained you wouldn't necessarily see that but I would see green or I would see a load of violet or I would see very specific tones that other hairdressers or other people wouldn't necessarily see but hairdressers would.
0: Right so Living in these lockdown times that we are in now, have people been asking you how, how they can get rid of this built up yellow that's in their hair? Have you, has that been a trend that you've been seeing or, or not so much?
1: I have to a, a degree, but to be honest, a lot of my clients wouldn't dare do anything themselves because <laughs> they would be scared. So some of them have just not touched it. Some of them I have sent color to, or or told them what color to use. And that has has been beneficial for them. But a lot of the time, I think, you know, you've gotta be a bit careful doing things at home yourself because you, I mean, they're chemicals. The chemicals that you're using at home on your skin and on your hair, there's a lot that can go wrong with that. (laughs) And I just think it's not as easy for someone else to fix that.
0: So you've built up a pretty good brand for yourself. How can doing things like editorial work and working on film productions, how can a salon colorist build their personal brand in order to become well-known within the industry? Well, you have to really
1: push yourself, try and get your name out there as much as possible, try and work with as many makeup artists as possible. You know, if, if that then means doing free stuff or working working late or working early just so that you can get to work with an editor or someone that, you know, works for a certain magazine, then it's worth doing because in the end you will always want to build a reputation for yourself. And by doing that extra stuff will give you that, you know, if you can try and work specifically with makeup artists, try and work with photographers if you know, and and things like that, that's the best way to do it. Try and get in contact with you know some bloggers bloggers you know things like that influences via social media does make a massive difference as well and just getting yourself out there putting as much out in the world as possible is the best way to do it really.
0: So how about somebody that wanted to be a session stylist like as their, as their job not working in a salon how, how does somebody go from I don't know say doing their NVQ and hairdressing to becoming a session stylist or is it even possible to work purely as a session stylist without being in a salon?
1: I think you'll find that a lot of session stylists you know the bulk of what session stylists do if not all of it is dressing so you have to be able to dress hair in such a specific way and that does require a lot of experience and you really need to make sure that you're working with a lot of people that have that experience so quite often just by doing mvq you're not going to get that you know just in um, a college salon you don't get enough of an experience by you know, by doing an NVQ level one and two and three, you, you you really need more than that. And I think by by working alongside some of the bigger hairdressers that, that do that, then that's the opportunity that you can get that experience. You know, it's all about creativity. If you can dress hair in a certain way, then it's amazing, but you still need the building blocks, the foundations to know how to do that, you know, and, and learning that is by working with some of the big sort of hairdressers.
0: What's the most memorable shoot that you've worked on? Oh, that's a good one.
1: Um, I suppose Vogue, actually. Vogue, I worked on um, British Vogue a few years ago with Matt and Marcus, the photographers, and uh, Corinne Rothfield, and that was probably one of the biggest things that I did. And I loved that, and I thought that was really quite cool because it was a... This particular shoot was something that was... It was very, you know, it was very sort of very open and aware of minorities and different sort of backgrounds and people of all different walks of life, which I just loved. You know, you had a guy that they that they dressed in a very specific way that you couldn't really work. Who's a girl or boy. And one of the one of the models was trans and another woman, you know, it was just really, really cool in the way that they the thought behind this. And I just thought, you know, British folk, how incredible. But that was definitely one of the biggest and more memorable ones I've worked for. Sounds
0: so exciting. What's it like being on a shoot?
1: Absolute carnage. <laughs> it's just, for, it's absolutely mental because there's so much going on and there's so many people, you know, and it's hard work from the beginning because you're there really early and quite often really late and when you think about it you're not actually doing that much hair but there's a lot of waiting around there's lots of touching up there's lots of sort of like bits and bobs and you're not really doing a huge amount but you're doing a lot on one person if that makes sense so it's just the, the pace of it is quite a lot because there's a lot of prep work and you know like I said the early starts and late finishes and carrying a load of equipment all around you is, is a lot of work so it's just tiring but it is fun. It's a lot of fun. But with colour, you don't tend to do so much colour on on shoots. You do you only really do it in the salon because it's easier.
0: I remember helping somebody once on a on a film set and it was the first time I'd been there assisting like um round the back. And I wore the worst footwear ever. It was comfortable, but <laughs> I had like these block heels on it. And I remember having to like walk through the studio. And everyone's turning around like, who is this girl making this really loud noise with her boots on? That's it. It's all about
1: comfort as well, because you're on your feet all day, you know. And, and that's the same in the salon, really, to be honest. You you know, you're on your feet all day, so you have to be comfortable. But session work is, is hard. It's really hard. But then you work, it works out because you're not really doing it all the time, quite a lot.
0: Would you say it's still glamorous, though?
1: I mean, it is glamorous to a certain extent, of course, because, you you know, you're creating a beautiful look. You know, you're looking at these models or whoever it might be. And it's fantastic. It's beautiful. Everything that's around you is so exciting, but it isn't...
0: It's a slog. Yeah, it's not as glamorous as what people think it is. For sure. I remember going for my first um, hairdressing interview. I must have been like 13. And this lady was like, "So, so you know, why... Why do you want to work here? And I must have said it was glamorous, and she was like, "Oh no, it, it's not." But I agree with you. I think that it, it still is, just because it's hard work doesn't make it not glamorous at all.
1: No,
0: I just, I just
1: think when you when you go behind the scenes, <laughs> it's just like it's just completely, it's just a bit mental and it's a bit carnage. You know, people aren't are certainly not quaffing lovely fizz you know that that's not the thing that happens at all i mean maybe end of the evening but definitely not you know you don't come in and people are oh darling sweetie it's just no so yeah you're right yeah just at the back there open that random door over there okay (laughs) so that's kind of what it normally is about
0: so what's the toughest part of working on a set i guess we've kind of covered that but is it the same as a tough part in the salon no, because in the salon, in many
1: ways, the the difficulty about in the salon is the amount of work that you're trying to cram in into one day, whereas session work, you know, you've only really got one or two people spread over the whole day, but it's just lugging all your stuff around. That's the difficult part. You know, you've, you've constantly got a load of bags and stuff with you. You know, I remember when I did a session... I think it was, I can't remember what magazine it was for. maybe Harper's or something like that. Yeah, I think it was. And it was just, I had to go to this random studio and it was just far. It was really far and it was really annoying. And I had had three suitcases of colour because they weren't sure what this woman actually needed. Maybe she just needed her roots done, but actually maybe she needs a bit of green in her hair. Oh, we don't know. Like, you know, it's one of those sort of things. So it's just... The uncertainty of not knowing what you're doing, you know, the off the top of your head creativity, and sometimes that can be quite stressful. So that's the thing that isn't always great about doing session work is, you know, especially for colour, not knowing what you might need and taking everything with you just in case. That's the annoying bit.
0: So moving on now into how to build a successful career, what qualifications and or soft skills do you think are important for a hair colorist to possess or just a hairstylist if it differs
1: well again it goes back to experience like try and take as much as you can from as many people as you can you know what the assistant i've got now she's so desperate to learn so so desperate and she she'll she'll want to bring your models throughout the day and so you know so that. Or on her day off, for example, she's like, can I come in on my day off? I know that you're working on that day and do a model with you. Or like later in the evening, when it's her training evening, she will say to me, is it okay if I bring two models in? Is that okay? I'm like, well, if you're finishing that time, then that's fine. But it's all about being eager and trying to take as much in as possible. And that's the difference. From the beginning, if you really want it, you will you will make it but it's working really really hard that's the thing try and you know never really saying no to things if someone asks you to do something you just do it because that's part of your qualification isn't it it's part of your experience yeah do
0: as much as possible learn as much as possible
1: yeah take as much in as possible because like any career if you can sort of push yourself in in a specific way And give yourself as much of an opportunity by taking it in, taking as much in as you possibly can, then you're sorted.
0: Yeah. Do you know what? When we worked together, I used to really like um, handling all the difficult clients (laughs) because I thought that they they taught me the, the most.
1: I completely agree. And I was talking about this the other day with somebody. I always end up being given the really difficult ones. When there's a new client that comes in, a lot of the colorists go, no, no, not dealing with that. But I always end up having them because I think maybe in many ways, because I'm very stern, but also I can be very reasonable, you know, I, I kind of can talk them around because quite often it's, again, managing people's expectations. But you have to have the ability to talk to people and to recognise why they want something or or the way that they're behaving, you know that's the whole point is is to be able to sort of see in many ways that they want something that's not really even possible. but you kind of go, well, oh, you know, have you thought about doing this or, or maybe we can just do this and talk them around in a very specific way. So that's another thing as well, isn't it? It's about sort of being able to talk to people.
0: Absolutely do you think that that's something that you have bought into the salon that's a part of you I know that you've you've clearly built this up with experience and dealing with different kind of people but has it stemmed from somewhere else how can how can other people grasp it do you think it's something that you're born with or is it solely experience do you think you can get it if you don't have it
1: I think you can definitely get it because I've seen the difference in this. Another assistant that works in the salon that he's only worked with me a little bit. But when he first started, he was just very, you know, he'd stand up against the wall and just look petrified like a rabbit in the headlights. And then slowly, slowly, his confidence has been is building because I think he automatically decided that he wasn't qualified to talk to some of these people that I that, you know, some of my clients that would be from all walks of life. But you then very quickly realise that they're no different. They're the same as you, but they just have different experiences. And that's the thing. You, you then realise that no one really is that different. It's just being able to talk to them. And you learn how to talk to them. That does come with experience, of course. But it doesn't mean that you're not you're not able to do that. Because so much of what we do is is being able to converse with people and, and being able to sort of talk to people and yes, of course, so much of what we do is our our expertise and, you know, our our vision and our capability as a colourist. But I know a lot of people come to me just because they love a chat, <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Yeah. It just that comes with experience, I think.
0: So when you have these different kind of people come into you. Yeah. Of course, you're going to remain like being yourself and staying true to yourself. Do you Mm. have to also adopt your style to each different kind of character? Definitely. How How do you find the right balance there? Well, it's about having integrity with
1: yourself, of course, but you have to remember some of the people that you're dealing with, you know. If you have Baroness of God Knows What from wherever, you can't really talk to her in the same way that you're going to talk to, you know, Jane that works in God Knows Where. So you do have to have the ability to adapt who you're talking to. And I certainly wouldn't talk in the same way to Jane that I would to, to the Baroness, for example, because they're, they're just very, very different. But it's not that you're losing your integrity. You're just remembering that you can't talk in a certain way or, or being careful not to talk about certain politics or religion, for example. That you have to be aware of who you're talking to it's not necessarily changing who you are it's just it's just uh, being mindful of people's opinions and views on certain things
0: knowing what's appropriate
1: knowing what's appropriate exactly
0: so do you think it's important to keep ahead of the latest trends um, if your focus is making hair look naturally beautiful
1: I do I definitely do I think because of course like we said earlier there's a lot of people that come in asking for something that's very specific and a lot of people have their own view about what they want but I think you do definitely need to keep up the latest trends however trends come and go and you do find those trends tend to repeat themselves after a certain amount of time so yes you do want to keep up with those trends but it always goes back to what's appropriate for that person. And that's the thing. So whether, you know, someone comes in and asks for something that's completely ridiculous, but that's on trend and that's what looks good at the moment. For example, the Billie Eilish look where it's, you know, green roots and black ends. I mean, that's ridiculous. Most people could never pull that off, but she looks good because she's Billie Eilish, you know? And so, and at some point that became a bit of a trend. However, like I say trends kind of come and go so yes you have to be mindful of that but you are also mindful of those that can carry off a certain look whether it be trendy or not.
0: How do you keep on top of these trends?
1: So I suppose you know looking what's out there via social media you know reading magazines you you kind of get to understand when people come in and ask for things that are more specific and you then sort of realise that a certain style has been created or a certain trend has been formed. But it, again, you know, it's just looking what's out there, you know, keeping in touch with the news and all of those different sort of factors you have to sort of bear in mind. It's everything that's happening in life, I suppose, isn't it? That's, that's your trend.
0: So how do you handle running a column um, which consists of your own clients whilst working in a team with other stylists who your client would be going to next or coming from? And juniors who assist you in the salon, washing hair, um, in order to provide your clients with an overall first-class experience.
1: That's a very good one because that is the hardest part: is managing a column. I find that it's it's easier to have help. You know, you, you can't do it on your own, basically. And I have a really good assistant that works with me in the salon. But if you don't have that, then of course you have to. Try and manage your time to know exactly what takes the amount of time. You know, for example, a certain service that you're doing in the salon, you need to know how long that takes and and when your next client is in. And if you you can't do something if you know that you're going to run behind. Or if you do, then you need to manage that. So, you know, you need to make sure that you're clear with the people that you're doing, the client that you're doing, and then speak to the reception or your assistant to let them know you're running behind. All of those things. That's another thing that I've had to learn from, from experience: is trying to manage my time a little bit, because of course time is money. You know, if you're keeping someone waiting, you're then you're then sort of late back to that stylist. So, again, you have to make sure the receptionists know exactly the booking schedules that you require. You know, exact times for each processes and you know each services. All of those factors are really important so to make sure things are booked correctly from the beginning.
0: I think they working working a out really really helps you become a team player because it just it's it's a complete knock on effect. It is a massive
1: knock on effect, and you know it really affects so many people. I've it's really hard because with colour it's much harder to sort of to organise your time, but. You kind of roughly know how long things take, but th- one of the hardest things is when things aren't booked correctly, or you know they might tell the reception on the phone one thing, and then they come into the salon and tell you something completely different. You know, and then then whose fault is that? So that's very very difficult. So it's just making sure things are booked correctly.
0: What's a challenge that you've faced in your career, and how have you overcome it?
1: Uh, I think not giving too much. You know, sometimes I feel like I give a lot to it and not having enough time for myself. And it's very difficult sometimes to say no, because like I said earlier, you, you know, you constantly from the beginning want to constantly take all these experiences and you want all of these different elements to try and learn from. And it's hard to say no when you get to a certain point to say, oh, actually, I need some time for myself. Because you end up just working all the time.
0: The thing is, though, when you get into hairdressing, it's it's not just a job, it's a passion, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. For, for me, it was anyway. Yeah. So to kind of think to yourself, or well, this is what I would get from it anyway, to say no to something, it would be really tough, as, as you're saying. So, yeah, just linking that in, it I guess it's really difficult to turn down your passion.
1: It is, it is. And the thing is, luckily for me, although I do session work and editorial stuff, I don't necessarily, that isn't the bulk of what I do. Every now and again, I might do something for a magazine or I might do uh, a TV thing or a film thing, but that isn't the bulk of what I do. The bulk is working in the salon with the clients that I've been doing for many years. And so in many ways, I can strip that back slightly. As long as I can do the clients I'm doing in the amount of hours per week, I need to bear that in mind. So I can kind of say, look, actually, I'm going to take three days off this week because I can, because I know that I can do the amount of clients in that time. Uh, It's just managing that a little bit, managing your own time and managing, you know, letting those clients know that I'm I'm not working, but learning when to say no.
0: (laughs) Do you think that that's something that you've been able to do because you've been at it for you know a number of years? Definitely,
1: it's been seventeen years since I first started registering. So I have the ability now, as I'm older and have got a very good clientele. I can kind of just be very honest with people because people will wait for mm. me. You know, when you're first starting out, you can't. You have to be there. You have to be there the whole time because you need the sort of ability that people can book in whenever they need to book in because otherwise they'll just go with someone else but when they're loyal over a certain period of time they won't go to someone else
0: you've got to hustle you've got to get those clients in and you need it for experience right 100 so what does a healthy work-life balance mean or look like to you
1: well downtime so it goes back to that doesn't it so having some downtime i do some stuff outside the salon you know like I said editorial film and tv stuff and having the time to do that and having the time to be in the salon but also having social life as well because that is a huge part of my life you know And, and I guess for a lot of people so that's the importance for me is to make sure that I'm giving myself enough of my own life and the balance between making sure I'm eating healthily and exercising and all that sort of stuff. Because that, you know, if, you, if you're if you unhealthy, you can't be on your feet all day doing clients all day when, you, when you're unfit. Because it's just, it's just painful otherwise. <laughs> it's just tiring.
0: Have you ever suffered from back problems from standing up like over a backwash, doing foils all day long? I
1: used to. In the first big salon I worked in, one of the stylists said to me, you need to make sure you stand up properly because you're not standing up properly the way that you're standing you're going to get back problems at the end of your life I have back problems and almost all hairdressers have back problems if you don't stand correctly and it stuck with me so from that point onwards I've been doing yoga and you know trying to sort of do as much exercise less now in lockdown of course because you know, <laughs> there are different priorities but normally I would try to do as much as I can to make sure that I'm a standing correctly, trying to do as much exercise I can. And, you know, eating healthily makes a massive difference, of course. And, and, and for energy. So, you know, rather in your, in your break, if you manage to get a break, rather than snacking on something that's going to give you a sugar rush, snack on something that's going to give you prolonged energy rather.
0: Okay. I've got a question off the back of this then. What about your hands? Do your hands suffer as a colorist? What can you do to protect those from the harsh chemicals?
1: Gloves. Always wear gloves. That's the thing. And I'm very obsessive with all the assistants that I've worked with. They have to wear gloves. And I know some clients really dislike it, but they they have to, because A, if you're working with certain chemicals, you could potentially build up an allergy over a prolonged period of time if you're not wearing gloves, And B, that it just kills the condition. So, you know, it takes all of that moisture and integrity out of your skin. So if you're doing it constantly. So I always say to all the assistants, please make sure you're wearing gloves. And especially if you're doing tints, like you wouldn't want to put someone's tint on without gloves on because you're going to stain your hands. So, of course, and on top of that, making sure you use good creams and stuff like that.
0: So do you think that uh, going to a salon is seen as a form of self-care or guilty pleasure? Is that something that you would do in your downtime?
1: I think it's definitely self-care and pleasure because, you know, a lot of the people that I deal with, it's it's a real big confidence boost for so many people. And doing stuff with with certain clients that makes them feel better about themselves, give them gives them the ability to do the job that they do. Like for example, one particular client of mine is a director of a big bank. And she she sort of said to me, She's like, when I get my hair done, I feel completely fine. And you know, I can take on all of these men I work with. <laughs> I feel very confident doing that. But as soon as my grades show through, it just, just makes me feel really flat and deflated. And, you know, and it's that sort of initial sort of boost that gives a lot of winning. And it just makes them feel nice. You know, when your hair doesn't feel good and, you you know, it looks a bit drab and a bit sad, it makes you feel sad and a bit drab. You know, it does make a difference, I think.
0: Yeah, I do agree. I think it makes you feel much more put together. So at the beginning of lockdown, I tried to um, not style my hair just to give it a break. But it wasn't long before I started styling again because I just, I wanted to feel more like myself. So I do think it's important. Uh, definitely, definitely a form of self-care.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So Mark, tell us, how can people book an appointment and connect with you on social media just to follow your fabulous self?
1: Well, they can they can uh, follow me via my uh, social media handle, which is MW Selly, or they can just call the salon. And they can book in with me that way. It's very, very simple, really.
0: I will put all these details in the show notes. So, anybody that does want to connect or uh, book an appointment with Mark, you can find the details below. Thank you for being a guest on hashtag nofiltermark. I cannot wait to come into the salon and just to see you and chill and have a good time when we come out of lockdown.
1: I know. Everyone's good. I think when we come out of lockdown, it's going to be like the 1920s all over again. People's going to be massive parties in the street and people are going to go crazy. I'm counting down the days. It is the 20s. It is the 20s now. So it's like a uh, 100 years later, a big celebration post World War One. Everyone's like,
0: yes, let's have a great time now. Literally counting down the days. Well, thank you for being a guest. You've been amazing. Thank you very much. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Hashtag No Filter. Thanks for listening to this episode of Hashtag No Filter. Please rate and give me a Hashtag No Filter review over on iTunes or Spotify. And make sure you hit that subscribe button to ensure you never miss an episode. See you next time.